You know, I, I heard this week about a guy um, named Fred. He had gone to a, a, a class that was supposed to help you your memory. And he, he was asked by a friend of his, Fred, you know, how, how was the class? And his friend said, and Fred said, it was amazing. It was awesome. We learned all these techniques like association, you know, and different ways to, to put words together, to remember everybody's name, to remember things. And, and, and he said, well, that sounds exactly like what I need as I'm getting older too. Um, what's the name of the class? And Fred just looked blank. And he kind of scrambled around for a minute and he said, um, what, what do you call that, you know, that, that, that flower that, that has like a, a long stem and thorns on it? And he said, a rose, his friend said. And he goes, that's it, that's it. And he turned around to his wife. He said, Rose, what was the name of that memory class? <laughs> so, it's so easy to forget things, isn't it? You know, the Bible says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has prepared for those of us who love him. But it's so easy to forget that. And it's so important that we remember that today because we're talking about something that would be, a, in a sense, it would feel like a drudgery if we didn't know that. But when we realize that and we can keep our eyes on that, it changes everything. We're talking about self-discipline. Self-discipline. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about that, but not just self-discipline. I want to talk to you about spiritual self-discipline because some of us are really, really disciplined, but our focus is too small. So let me just read you what Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 10. Stay clear of silly stories that get dressed up as religion. Exercise daily in God. No spiritual flabbiness, please. Workouts in the gymnasium are useful, but a disciplined life in God is far more so since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. You can count on this. Take it to heart. That is why we've thrown ourselves into this venture so totally. We're banking on the living God, Savior of all men and women, especially believers. I heard someone talk about what our life looks like from God's perspective, if you can just imagine. I want you to imagine a, a thick silver cord and it goes that way and it goes out through the building and it goes on forever. I mean, it never stops. It goes out into space, just keeps going forever that way. And then this cord comes across in front of me and it goes forever this way. It just keeps going. You could just follow it forever. There's no end to it. That's God's life. Now, our life, if I just took a, a, a little uh, pocket knife or something and I put a scratch on that cord, that's your life and my life on this planet. Now, part of the problem with just having discipline is that a lot of times we have discipline, but we're focused on the scratch. Now, we don't go forever back like God does. And that's, you know, your mind can't comprehend forever past because that doesn't make any sense to us. How could it be forever and get to here, right? So uh, we're locked in time. God has locked us in this time bubble. And we think in terms of time, but 
we focus down on this little scratch when God's saying, I do want you to focus on the scratch, but I want you to realize that your life isn't finished if you're a believer. It's not over in the scratch. It goes on this way forever. Don't forget it. Don't forget what I've got for you. Don't forget the rewards that I have for you based on what you've done in our little scratch lives. And so we need to think about that. We need to look at that. We need to not forget that. You know, I see guys and gals at the gym all the time. And some, some of you are kind of interesting and funny to watch, you know, because I'll see especially the younger girls and they're always looking in the mirror and then the younger guys are always enjoy that right now, okay? Because it does not hold, right? I, I saw a study the other day that said at age 22, you're as good looking as you're ever gonna get. And some of you are going like, is that it? Okay, no. Now, every once in a while, you see a man that ages really well, you know, like a George Clooney or something, and you're going like, he looks good. Is that? That's the exception, right? So we just need to realize that, that it's, it's, it's going to be over so quickly. But most people have put everything they are into the scratch. I was thinking of Kim Kardashian. I saw a, a whole series about her recently, and they were talking, and, and, and you know, they've had the big... Uh, Kanye um, or Ye or whatever, um, you know, uh, conversations been on a lot. And, um, you know, they were talking, some people were talking about how she got famous. You know how she got famous? It was with a sex tape that was supposedly leaked. But then now things are coming out from like the ex, the boyfriend and stuff like that, that it was a plan all along by her and her mom to get famous because they had seen Paris Hilton get famous off a sex tape. They had seen, uh, you know, um, Pamela Anderson get famous off of that. And so they planned it. In fact, the ex says that her mom watched everything to make sure everything was good and the right angles and all that. And I was going, ah. Well, here's the thing about, I mean, it's because they're living in the scratch, right? It's all about right here, right now. And we can get so out of joint and so, and, and you know, Whatever you think of Kanye, you know, he's, I, I was listening to him and I thought it was so interesting because he's trying, he said, I'm trying to live my life for an audience of one. I'm trying to live beyond the scratch. And, you know, whatever you, you say, well, he's got mental problems. Well, so do you, you know, so do I. Uh, let's don't criticize anybody who's trying, right? You know, so, because um, we don't have much right to do that. But uh, it's interesting how people are trying to figure out how life works works. Listen to what Paul, he's trying to remind the Corinthians in the book of Corinthians about all of this. And we're going to look at a couple of passages. The first one is 1 Corinthians 3, starting with verse 11. It says this, Paul saying, there's in fact only one foundation and no one can lay any foundation other than Jesus, the anointed. As others build on the foundation, whether with gold, silver, gemstones, wood, hay, or straw, the quality of each person's work will be revealed in time as it is tested by fire. If a man's work stands the test of fire, he will be rewarded. If a man's work is consumed by the fire, his reward will be lost, but he will be spared. Another version says he will be saved, but so as by fire. 
Don't let anyone deceive himself. If any one of you thinks he's wise in matters pertaining to this world, he's going to be really disappointed. In fact, one must be deemed a fool by worldly standards in order to become truly wise because the wisdom of this rebellious and broken world looks like foolishness when put next to God. He's basically saying that we're all a builder. We're building something. It's gonna last forever or it's not. I want you just to think about the things that you spend all of your time on. See, the Bible says that at the end, this whole world is going to burn up. It says the elements are gonna melt with intense heat. Sounds nuclear, doesn't it? But all the things that are of this world are gonna be gone. You ever watched like a news program and they're talking to someone whose house burned down and it's like basically they just got out of the house barely if they're lucky with their kids and maybe their dog, cat they didn't worry about. You know, they, they uh, his cats take care of themselves anyway. He probably started the fire, but you know, and, and, and so they're kind of like they're all singed and almost smoking and they have nothing. That's what Paul is saying. Some of us, as believers, we're going to get to heaven, but it's going to be like, whew, we barely made it. And there's nothing. Others are going to come, and God's going to be like saying, well done. Jesus is going to hug them up tight and say, well done. You did good. Here's your reward. And, and, and Paul, you know, he, he talks about that in some, of these, in some of these things. So as we think about that, I want us to figure out how do we do that? How can we live a life of discipline? And Paul tells us how, and he's such a master teacher. He uses something that we're all familiar with and something that the Corinthian church would be totally familiar with because, see, they they had what was called the Ismuthian game, uh, um, the, the Ismuthian races and boxing. The Olympics took place in Athens, but in between, kind of like the World Cup or something like that, they would have these, this other kind of mini Olympics in Corinth. And it was probably about time for these games again. And so Paul uses the idea of almost like Olympics to help them know how to live the Christian life. And here's what he says. How do you live this way? 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do it to obtain a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not to run aimlessly. I box in such a way as to avoid hitting air but I strictly discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Now, as Paul, this master teacher, he shows us some things. And as we begin to get the concept of what he's saying, as we see the comparisons and the contrasts to the Christian life and what he's talking about here, it kind of just teaches itself. First of all, he's saying the Christian life, in some ways, we, we are a community in a powerful way, and that's so important as we encourage one another. But there's also an individual aspect of it because 
we're all going to stand before God alone. And I love that he uses a race, you know, like in basketball or football, the whole team is playing. And, you know, if the offensive line's not doing very good, but everybody else is playing great, you still could lose or the defensive line, you know. Or if you're my Oklahoma Sooners, the offensive and defensive line and the defensive backs and the quarterback and the running back. You know, it's like, but in running a race, it's all about you. You stand and fall alone. Same thing with boxing, right? It's like, if you're the boxer, I mean, it's not like there's 57 people out there. It's not tag team wrestling. It's you and you're boxing. And so the Bible says we're all going to stand before God alone. And he's not going to judge us if we're believers. That's another judgment that happens to those who aren't believers. He, he, he's not going to judge us, but he is going to judge our works. And he's going to see the intent behind them. He's going to see the, the things that we did. And so Paul's saying it's really important to, to get that and understand that because there's this huge prize. There's these huge rewards. I don't know what that looks like, but it's going to be amazing because eye has not seen, ear has not heard. We can't even fathom, the Bible says, what God has in store for us. And even if you get there and you're singed and you barely make it, it's going to be the most amazing thing to be in heaven. You know, like, I'm here. And everybody's going to go, like, how did he get here? You know, it's like, but for those of us who really take this to heart, there's going to be some amazing, I mean, I don't know what it is. Is he going to say, hey, I love how you learned to be an overcomer. I want you to go and take this universe and rule and reign over it. Because we're going to rule and reign with him. We've got to learn how to stay tied into him all the time. And so it's important that we do that. And Paul puts the, the Christian life into the arena of an athletic event so that we can understand the individuality of it and understand that we're all gonna be alone one day, just us and God, and he's gonna see what lasts and what doesn't. He's gonna be the one that has determined that. So there's a lot of comparisons and, and there's a lot of contrasts in this. And so as we look at this, as it just kind of teaches itself, let, let's look at the way that the Christian life is like this race and the ways that it's different. In verse 24, he says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. That little phrase, do you not know, aido in Greek, which means perceive, understand. Do you not understand? And it's kind of a rhetorical question because of course they did. They had the games right there. And we know that even if you're not a big track person, you know that when you run in a race, everybody runs, but only one person wins. And he, he's saying that's just the way it is. I remember watching a marathon on TV. How many of you run marathons? How many of you watch marathons while you're eating Twinkies and stuff like me? Yeah. So I remember, you know, watching this marathon and it was like an anthill when they took off. I mean, it's just like ants coming out of an anthill. There were so, how could you, I don't even know how you run. I mean, how do you keep from tripping and falling? And so I watched that and I watched for a while, but you know, it gets kind of boring to me, even though it's amazing because uh, I'm not a big runner. And so I went and ate and came back and they're still running, but it's not an anthill anymore, you know? Now it's gotten down to just a few people. And so I took a short nap. And then when I woke up, 
it was only one person way out in front and everybody else was pretty far behind, you know, and he crosses the finish line. And that's what Paul is saying. He said, this is what, you know, in the Christian life is like this, but he's contrasting it because what he's saying is that all of us were to run like that, in that manner. That's what it, it says. Haltos is a word that says, in the same way, run so that you can win. But the good thing is, we're not competing. We're not competing because we can all win. We can win the prize. The, you know, there's so much competition today and competition among churches and uh, <laughs> Sometimes I fall into that too, you know, and uh, I remember we started our orphanage. You guys built an orphanage in Costa Rica before we ever built our first building, and we spent several hundred thousand dollars doing that. We were making a statement, this is who we are, and we've done things like that ever since, but I remember a, a pastor friend of mine that came and said, we would like to help support your orphanage in Costa Rica, and I said, that would be awesome, and so they gave like $3,000 a year, you know, I happened to see their brochure for giving and stuff, and they talked about their orphanage in Costa Rica. And I was like, that's not right that he would say that, you know? And, and then I began to realize, well, we're not in competition. I mean, but sometimes you feel like that, don't you? You know? Like when other churches will come out here and, and try to start, you know, and even you guys say, oh, there's even competition now, you know, with, with these different churches. And you know, you, you think, why did you come and build down the street, you know, from us? I don't get it. And I'm just going to pray God's will on you. You know, I'm going to pray that a, a, a great big can of, 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 you know, whip will will come on you. <laughs> that's not what we're supposed to do, is it? That, that's not what God wants from us. What he wants us to do is realize, hey, we're not in a race that's a competition we can all win this thing. But I want you to do it in like manner. I think one of our modern athletes that we could look at is Tom Brady when he's saying, live like this, okay? Tom Brady and football, you know, he puts a little bit into that, doesn't he? I mean, they say he's the greatest of all time, and he, I think he probably is. And he retired for about 10 minutes, and then... He came back this year and, you know, I've been watching and all of the tabloids and everything are saying that Giselle is leaving him, you know, his wife Giselle's leaving him. Why? I don't know if that's true or not or, you know, but, but it's because what she's saying, they're saying is that that's all he can focus on. He, he, he's so focused and he had promised he was going to retire so that he could take time and focus on the family. Then he didn't retire and now he's focused on football and when he's playing football, nothing else matters. Not her, not the kids, not anything about life only. And you look at his life and you can see that. I mean, have you seen the way he eats and stuff? It's insane. I mean, the things that he does, nobody can look that good at his age and keep playing like that without that total focus. Well, what Paul is saying, don't live your life for football, but live your life for God that way with total focus. I think a lot of us, we kind of treat Christianity like amateur athletics, you know, uh, where it's kind of like a hobby. 
we, we've got a lot of things going on and that's our main focus. And then our Christian life kind of comes along and say, and this is nice too. I want to be a, a good person, especially in the South. You know, we want to be good old boys and gals, right? You know, I, I heard a, a, a country song at a wedding this week and um, it was it was interesting because it was like saying, I go to church because mom told me to, you know, and that's what I'm supposed to do. And, and, and I do all these nice and good things. And I thought, well, that's kind of our culture to be good old boys. But that's like a hobby. What, God, what Paul is saying is this should be everything and everything else way behind this. If you're going to really win the prize, if you're going to see that amazing reward that God has for you, then you've got to focus down so intently like Tom Brady plays football. You've got to say, this is everything. Everything else is peripheral to this. I think that he's saying there's not any spectators. There's not any hangers on, you know. He's asking, are, are you just, you know, a fan of Jesus kind of? Because I've noticed what fans do, especially like you go to the Texans game and it's been hard, you know, to watch them for many years now, you know, but um, you go to the Texans and, and everybody's cheering and drinking and excited and stuff in their face, you know, with the 57th hot dog and stuff like that that costs $90 a piece. But what happens when it starts going bad? Pretty soon you start, boo, boo, because you're, you're just... A fan. You know, if you try to live the Christian life that way, it's going to not work. Because if you're not full out with Jesus in the good times and you're trusting his heart, when the bad times come, uh, it's not, it's going to be a bad time. I see so many people fall away. It's almost like, boo, Jesus. You wouldn't say that because it's going to get struck by lightning, Right? But you're going like, you were so good. You were doing good. Yay, Jesus. Yay, Jesus. Yay. Boo. Right? We feel that way. I think a lot of people try to live the Christian life the way that I ran track in ninth grade. Now, I was trying to find my sport. You know, I love basketball and stuff, but I wasn't very tall and not really tall enough to play great basketball, even though I like to think I was great. And um, so I, I looked around and you know what I found out? When I went to school, track, you got out a full day, at least once or twice a week, a full day of school. And the guys and the girls were there together. And the girls were wearing those cute little tiny shorts. And I said, I found my sport. This is my sport. Now, I didn't like to run, you know, but it didn't matter because I remember our coach one time, we were terrible, you know, and, but he said, hey guys, we're out here laying out in the sun. I mean, what more could we ask for? We couldn't ask to win. I think he was being sarcastic, but we all agreed with him, you know, so. Uh, but it came time for me to run my race. It was the 880 back then, that really dates me, you know, but 880 yards, 800 meters. And I, I man, I took off and that, I was way out in front after the first 440, the first 400, that first lap. As I was going around the turn, starting the next 400, I promise you, a demonic spirit came out of the stands and jumped on my back, and he was heavy. And he just, I mean, I just started, uh, and everybody's 
passing me by. And I, I ended up second to last. It was me and this other little guy that never practiced, I guess, you know. And because I was always, oh, coach pulled a hammy, I think, you know, let me get in the jacuzzi. And the most embarrassing race that I ran, I was so far behind, somebody in the stand said, everybody else had crossed the finish line already. They said, make your move. That's rude. <laughs> That's just rude. <sighs> you know, so you think about that. I think about what Paul says about us. Listen to what he says in, in, in 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 and on. He says, a time will come when some will no longer tolerate sound teaching. Instead, they'll live by their own desires. They'll scratch their itching ears by surrounding themselves with teachers who approve of their lifestyles and tell them what they want to hear. They will turn away from the real truth you have to offer Timothy, he's talking to, because they prefer the sound of fables and myths. But you must stay focused and alert at all times. Tolerate suffering. Wait a minute, now that's in the Bible? Because I, I thought that God's gonna bless me and it's gonna be like health and wealth and beautiful things. No, he says tolerate suffering. You've gotta tolerate suffering. And then he goes on to say, for I am already being poured out and the last drops of this drink offering are all that remain. It's almost time for me to leave. God had told him it's almost time. He, he was beheaded right after this. And he's in a Roman prison as he writes it. I have fought the good fight. I have stayed on course. I have finished the race. And through it all, I have kept believing. I look forward to what's in store for me now. A crown of righteousness that the Lord, the always right and just judge will give me on that day. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says, but it's not only for me, but for all those who love and long for his appearing. Do you love and long for his appearing? See, the ones that love and long for his appearing are the ones that are, are living full out that way. They're spending time with him. They can't wait to see him face to face. They can't wait to see what heaven has in store. Now, what's really cool about it, he's gonna give us crowns. And you know what the Bible says? We're gonna kneel down and put the crown back at his feet. Why? Because he's the one that lives the Christian life through us, really, right? As we learn how to do that. We've had a lot of people baptized lately. And so many of us, we've never had like a foundations class. So in the first of next year, we're gonna start a foundations of, of just the Christian life, the basic things of how to have these spiritual disciplines. And I want you to, I want you to be in that class because it's gonna be huge. It's gonna, it's gonna make a huge impact on you. The first of the year, we're gonna start a whole new kind of uh, membership idea that really is about us really getting involved, really stepping into this. And I want you to listen for that and think about that. But we're also gonna have these different classes that kind of based on like a college curriculum. So it'll say like 101, you'll know anything that's with a one in front of it is the basics getting started. And then 201, 301, 401 as you advance. So be listening for that. It's interesting, those who compete, agonizomai, compete, agonizomai. What word do we get from that? Agony, 
And what's so interesting when Paul says, I have fought the fight, that word fight is agon. Same root, agony. I, I've, I've gone through agony. I've, I've worked hard. I've felt the pain. God doesn't spare us from the pain. See, he's got a race that he's put out in front of us. Laura and I figured out some time ago, and it's made a huge difference for us. Life is difficult. Marriage is even more difficult. It's not going to be easy. But we said, God, whatever you put in front of us, we're going to walk with you and we're going to trust you. And we're going to believe that your heart is good. And in the good times, that's really easy. In the hard times, that's really, really hard. Oswald Chambers says the only time that we as believers can make our father smile is when the clouds cover his face and it seems like he's a million miles away and we keep believing that he's good. It puts a big smile on his face. That's what I want to do. That's who I want to be. But we've got to press into Jesus so hard. We've got to know him. But God doesn't spare us the pain of, of the choices. You know, it's painful to be a Christian sometimes in our culture. You're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be laughed at. It's not as painful as it is to be a Christian in North Korea. But there's a lot of pain for us too. And, and we need to, to realize that is the case. If it's just a hobby, when the hard times come, you're going to fall away. You, you're living the Christian life like I ran track. And you're just going from catastrophe to catastrophe, basically. Every catastrophe, you come back together. You know, we're probably getting ready to have a big economic downturn. I hate to tell you that. But, you know, you can only print so many trillions of dollars before things begin to change, right? And, and it's just common sense. And things are already happening that the government's trying to squash. And, you know, but now that they're raising interest rates, it's saying, oh, everything's going to. As a Christian, that's okay. Unless you're just living in the scratch. You know what? In fact, it might be that it's the best time ever to be able to share what really matters and what lasts. When you watch your stocks going, Jesus said, don't put your treasure here because moth and rust are going to get to it or thieves on Wall Street are going to break in and steal. No, he didn't say that, but he said, he said thieves will break in and steal it. So don't do that. Interesting, the word is agon, agony. And they did this for a pine wreath that they got in those games in Corinth. But they also got some other things. They were, didn't have to pay taxes the rest of their life. They got a stipend from the government if they won. They had a statue built for them. It was supposed to make them immortal. Only thing is, where are those statues? They've all crumbled to dust. See, there is no such thing as immortality here. And even if their statue was still there, they wouldn't know it, would they? And Paul ends this all with a challenge. And I want to challenge you. He says, therefore, I run in such a way as not to run aimlessly. I box in such a way as to avoid hitting air. I strictly discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. 
that little words, those words without aim, adelos. Adelos comes from ah, without, and delos, uncertainty. I run without uncertainty. I'm certain of who I've put my trust in. I'm certain of what's coming. I don't run uncertainly. I run with aim. I run with purpose. It kind of has the idea of staying in bounds too. You ever watched your football team play and, you know, it's the last, it's the last play of the game and it looks like the guy scored a touchdown, but then, oh, shoot, the replay, right? And his foot was just barely out of bounds when he caught the pass or, oh, on the two-yard line, he stepped barely on the white. Oh, that's just a killer. God's word, that's our sidelines, He's saying, I want you to live inside of this. I want to show you how to live. I want you to focus down. I don't want you to do it aimlessly. I box in such a way as not just hitting air. There's some guys at my gym, they have a big boxing, whatever you call that big thing that hangs down, you know. And and, and, I mean, they're looking good. And I've seen some of them just box in the air. And I thought, they look really good until they, if they had to come up against, you know, like a young Mike Tyson though, it might look a little different. Paul said, when I punch, I do it on purpose. I know exactly what I'm trying to hit. And I hit it. I don't just show, do it for show. You ever seen people that live the Christian life for show? When catastrophe comes, they just crater. That's how you know. You see trials, trials don't destroy faith. I've had people tell me, you know, I went through a trial and it just destroyed my faith. No, trials, all they do, they test your faith. Okay? So it's really important to know that. Trials don't destroy your faith. They test your faith. And if your faith is destroyed in a trial, there wasn't any faith. You were just boxing the air. You were just looking good. Sometimes I talk to bodybuilders and I, you know, ask them, so, so why did you do that? For this? Well, why, did you, why, why do you want that? So I can do this? Well, what's the point of that? This? Well, that's just stupid. What, what's the point? I don't get, I mean, you, you inject yourself with all these steroids and all these, so you can do this? Yeah, I want to look good. I want to, well, I don't, I mean, but you're not, that, what? But a lot of us live the Christian life the same way, Right? And we, it's for what people see and how it looks. And Paul's saying, that's not going to work. How do you do it? He said, well, I discipline my body. There's a, in the King James Version, it says, I buffet, B-U-F-F-E-T. It's not a word we use much, but it's like, you know, I keep it in line. I always read that I buffet my body, but that wasn't what it was, you know. I kind of like that verse until I figured out it wasn't buffet. I buffet my body and make it my slave. No, I buffet my body. I buffet it. And, and how do you do that? You see, the world is telling us all the time, you need to listen to your body. Listen to your body. Because your body has needs. And I understand some of that. I mean, you know, there's some, there's some truth to that. It's like we need to sleep. We need to do some things, you know. Listen to your body. Be healthy. But you, Paul's saying, no, not really. That's not what you do. You subjugate your body. You tell your body what to do. 
That, that's how you live the Christian life. And what's so interesting is you have the Holy Spirit inside of you to give you the strength to do that. He said, the fruit of my spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, self-control. So you can say, Holy Spirit, I don't feel self-control today, but I need you to, I want to tell. So do you ever talk to your body? I, I, I mean, I think that's what Paul's saying. I think he's saying, you know, sometimes you just have to say, body, we're going to the gym. But I don't want to. I want to sit here with my Oreos. Nobody. I don't know about you, but my body's like three years old. You never got past that, you know? It's like, body, we're not going to look at that, you know, on television. I want to body and then sometimes you just have to say holy spirit you live in me give me that strength that power give life to my mortal body so that i can walk in this and i can be what you've asked me to be it's interesting make it my slave dulagogeo it's a big word but it comes from the root dulos which means a bond servant did you know when you stepped into a relationship with christ if you really meant it you gave everything to him. You, you really can't talk about your rights anymore because you don't have any rights. You gave them away to Jesus. Now, the most amazing thing is he's got sweet watch care over you. But he's saying, here's how I want you to live. But I have these sexual needs, Jesus, you know, and it's just my body's going, yeah, I need sexual needs, you know. Maybe I'll get some sexual healing, Marvin Gaye said it works. He's going, nobody, <laughs> you know, you'd be faithful in your marriage. And we began to look at that. He said, we got to hold it under control. But it, what, well, I think I'm just going to miss out on stuff. You know, I think, do you remember who started that? Who's telling you that? The devil. Because that's what he said to Eve. Did God really care about you? I mean, did he say, you can't eat of this tree? He's holding out on you big time because he knows if you eat of this tree, you will be a God yourself. Well, God's holding out on me. I'm going to miss out on something. He said, no, stay in my bounds. I'm just telling you, don't play on the highway. What happened with Eve and Adam? Death. It brought death. It brought thorns and thistles and sweat and murder and mayhem. And it just keeps rolling down hill like a big snowball all the way down to us. So we live in this hugely broken world. You probably have trauma. Don't even let your trauma stop you. That's why we have counselors and counseling. And they're, I mean, amazing Jen over here, I think she is like, uh, she's probably the best trauma counselor in the whole country. And she's helped me with a lot of my stuff. You didn't know I had stuff? No, don't talk to Jen about it because she can tell you some stories, you know, but it's like, it, it, it's like, let's do that. Your marriage struggling? Get in there. We've got, we're here for you. We'll walk with you, but you can do it. You can do this. But we lose sight of what really matters. I think of it this way, and I'll just close with this. You know, little Kevin, he's six years old, and he's practicing his guitar, and he's playing Home on the Range. 
You know, if it sounds even that good. And he's looking out his window and he's thinking, I'm home on the range for the 15th time and his friends are all playing football outside in the yard. This is drudgery. This is awful. Why do I have to? I don't understand. Uh, this doesn't seem fair. But I want you to change the story up a little bit. Imagine an angel came down to little Kevin at six. And he said, Kevin, come with me. I'm the angel of the future, you know. It's got a little Dickinson in there, you know. And he grabs him, and all of a sudden, they're way in the future. And he sees this guy playing classical guitar in this huge venue with tens of thousands of people. And he can't believe what's coming out of that. I mean, that a, that a guitar can make that kind of sound. And then suddenly he's back, little Kevin again. And the angel says, that was you. That's you in the future. That's what it's going to be like. Kind of changes a home on the range a little bit, right? It kind of start thinking, oh, if we could flash forward into the future, and I mean a billion years, a million years, a thousand years, you're not here anymore in any of those, but you're in heaven, and the reward that God's given you, he's going like, oh, you're not going to believe. You lived this full out. You're not going to believe what I have for you. Walk with me. And we'll talk about what I have for you. There's this amazing universe. I want you to be creative like me. I want you to create a whole world. And I want you to rule over it. You won't be God. I'm, a, I'm the only God. You'll always point back to me. But you're in my family now. And I want you to see what this is going to be like. Changes everything. When we get to heaven... Are you going to be there and go like, whew, I made it. And smoke's still kind of coming up because you just barely got out of the fire. And you look around and nothing came with you. Nothing. Or are you going to say, I'll focus down on the kingdom of God. And it changed everything. It changes the reason why you say, okay, buddy, we're going to get up 30 minutes early. And spend a little time with God today. How many of you read your Bible every day? That's the boundaries. He's saying, here's what I have for you. I've got some, there's like 7,000 promises in there. About how he's going to be with you and walk with you. And when you walk through the fire, what? I'll be with you. I'm not going to abandon you. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Some of you are walking through a really hard time. Does it feel like you're losing your faith? Well, you're not losing your faith because of the trial. There might not have been a lot of faith there. The trial is just bringing that out. Take that as an opportunity and say, Jesus, I want to step into this even more. I want to trust your heart even more. Are you just angry at God because he has not treated you right? Paul said, suffer hardship with me. Suffer pain with me. Agonisomai, compete with me. It puts a whole different spin on everything. 
Remember, we're going to have that class. You're going to learn how to do some of that. But you can start now just by opening your Bible to the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament. Read a few verses every day. The words of Jesus. There's more teachings of Jesus in the Gospel of John than anywhere else in the Bible. Because that's what John did. John, John listened to all his teachings and just wrote them down. And say, I want to live this. It's so radical. It's not good old boy religion. I can tell you that. It's not a hobby. But it's going to make a difference forever. We're not living community of faith. We're not living for the scratch. Yeah, the rest of the world is. And some of them are doing amazing. Billions of dollars. All that kind of stuff. And that doesn't mean you can't be rich. Because God can do that. But that's not the point. If you're rich, it's only so you can give to his kingdom even more. Put it up in heaven. Live for heaven. Walk with him. I want you just to close your eyes with me. God, this is one of the things that we don't hear about a lot. I, I feel like that in church, we've, in America, we've kind of gone back to talking about how God can improve your life now. And that's so true. You, you do that because walking with you changes everything. But that doesn't mean it's going to be all flowers and roses. and It just means that we're going to have you holding our hand even through the fire. Would you show us more of what this means, what I'm talking about today? I want to be one of those runners, God, that competes, that runs to win the prize. And I want every single person in the sound of my voice to be a runner like that. That the Christian life isn't just a little side hobby that's going to fall away when the hardships hit. And God, I, I have a feeling that some real hardships are coming to America. And a lot of people are going to fall away and be angry at you and not understand. But you said that's what the world would be like. In this world, you'll have trouble. But take my courage. I have overcome the world. Walk with me, little one. You know us by name. You've sought us out. It's not an accident that we're here. Help us to step into this faith, this life with all that we are. And if there's anyone here that hasn't started that journey yet, don't let them be just kind of like inoculated against it because their parents lived it as a hobby or someone around them or most of America. Would you enable them to step in full out and see all that you have for us. Come kingdom of God upon us. Be done will of God over us. And let nothing stop us finishing the race. Breaking the tape. And you hugging us up tight. And saying well done. My good and faithful little one. Well done. We long to hear that. In Jesus name. Amen.